When I was recording the sermon for last week, I'd got, I usually prepare sort of about four pieces of notes, because that usually fits quite nicely. And when I was recording last week, I was get, getting through towards the end of my third page of notes, and I looked at the uh, record thing, and it said that 11 minutes had gone. And I thought, help, you know, this is going to be too short. But then I thought afterwards that if I was speaking in person, I probably would take twice as long to say the same stuff because you're responding to what's already happened in the service. So what I was having to do last week is just trust God that through his Holy Spirit, what I brought would fit in with what other people brought. And I think that worked, uh, from what I understand. So that's down to God, really. And I think today, in the light, I was busy making some notes. So I'm going to change slightly what I'm going to say today in the light of what's already happened, but sticking with the same references. So I'm going to start reading, if you want to find the first one, in Psalm 96. Often when I'm preaching, I try and keep just to a few references, but today we're going all over the place. So you're going to either keep up or just jot the references and I think... uh, Hugh is going to get them up on the uh, screen for us. So we're looking at what it means, the gospel means for us as a community. I was looking last week a bit at how it, it affects when we interact with one another. But today it's looking at as us as a community of witness, as a city on a hill, an alternate city. So Psalm 96. O sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name, tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvellous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the people are worthless idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Splendour and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendour of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established, it shall never be moved. He will judge the people with equity. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. That then, then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord. For he comes, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the people in his faithfulness. In this psalm which was sung by the people several hundred years before Jesus came, are they expressing what they were experiencing themselves? Or not? And I think, possibly for us as well, this expresses much more what we would see God bringing than what we necessarily see now. Because the the world now is affected by sin. It's affected by corruption. 
But this is looking to the day when God was going to come and bring his salvation. This was looking to the day when God was going to come and redeem his people. This is looking to the day when God, the whole earth was going to be remade and the effects of sin on the world would be gone. In our growth group, we've just been looking at Revelation. And again, that looks to that day when God has made all things new. So we know Jesus has come. Therefore, we are at least, we are born again into that new creation. But we also know it's not completely here yet. There's still the completeness of it to come in the new heaven and the new earth. But when they're looking to that new day, there's a mixture here of salvation being talked about and God's judgment being talked about. Because salvation and judgment are linked together. Now this is a bit I wasn't planning to put in. But I think when I was speaking last week, I said often I might see a tweet which just fits in with what I'm going to say. Now this, I think, might be from two different tweets or from a link. I think most of it's from a link which I think Andrew Wilson tweeted during the week. So I, I haven't, I'm doing this from memory. I was just jotting a few things down earlier in the service. If you think that death is the end and there's nothing after death you do not need to fear judgment because there's no ultimate judgment of what you've done that was one theme another one which looked a bit odd when I first saw it but this person was saying something appears rare or not possible until after it's happened. He was writing in the context that we haven't seen anywhere a revival of people coming to Jesus in a post-Christian context. You look at most of the classic revivals, it's where the majority of people would have accepted Christian teaching even if, they, even if they rejected it they saw it as the ultimate truth and so you had a revival in it's that sense is really people coming back to a God they had rejected but this person commented a revival had not been seen in a non-Christian country until there was one in Korea in 1905. And then there was another one in the 1920s and 30s in Rwanda. Rwanda one's quite interesting because the Anglican Church, being Anglican, tended to send its missionaries to uh, British colonies 
or protectorates. And so you had British missionaries in Uganda and they led some of the African people there to the Lord. But Rwanda was controlled at that time by the Belgians. And so there are no Anglican missionaries there. But some of the African Christians decided that their brothers and sisters over the border needed to hear the gospel as well. So they crossed the border and revival broke out in a place which hadn't heard the gospel in the past. So the fact that now we live in a community where most people think that when you die that's the end and you don't need to worry about anything else. In classic revivals, people tended to come and fall before God because they were worried about what was going to happen to them in judgment. People today don't have that fear. But that doesn't mean that God cannot bring revival. It's just that what we will see will be different from what's happened in the past. But it doesn't mean that God can't work through. So I think, I think that, let that be an encouragement to us not to think that society's changed so God cannot work. God can still work. But revival is something we don't directly have any control over. The only thing you can see is that when revivals come, people have been praying. That is the one common factor. But you can't say that prayer will force revival. So, what, really what most of what I'm saying today is what do we do in the meantime? How do we witness? And I think what I'm going to be talking about today is witnessing not just individually, but how do we do that as a community? Because the community we are witnesses to those outside. Going on to Ephesians and chapter 1. I'm getting back to my notes now. So, Paul's letter to the Ephesians, chapter 1, verse 15. For this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the Lord of our Lord, sorry, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, which are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the workings of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him, that's Jesus, at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. 
So Jesus is the one who is above all, both for now in this age and in the age to come. And we were reminded in Psalm 96 and verse 5, For the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Jesus is the one who reigns because he made the heavens and the earth which we're in. He's the Lord over them, over this. He's the Lord for the future as well. So how does that work out in our lives? Because he is Lord over all. Well, the first thing it's going to mean is that we are a gospel-speaking church. We find this in one picture. Or we find it all over the scriptures, but particularly if we look at 1 Peter chapter 3 and from verse 8. And what I'm doing is I'm reading quite a lot of scripture because I don't want to just pick out a verse in isolation. We need to see the verses in their context. So from here, finally all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless for, for, for to do this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now, who is there to harm you if you're zealous for what is doing good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your heart honour Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defence to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behaviour in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Now the key verse for this is verse 15, so that you, or the second part of it, that you be prepared to make a defence to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you. You know, we should be prepared to explain to people what we believe, is effectively what it's saying. But I think the co- it's easy, I think, to jump to that verse and not look at the context. It's the context of talking to them, where Peter is talking to the Christians as a community. We look at verse, no, find that in verse 8. You know, as a community, have a unity of mind, have sympathy for one another, have love for one another, a tender heart, not repaying evil for evil, but blessing. That's what we are doing as a community. And he says, you know, if you're like that, if you're doing no harm to anyone, who is there to harm you? But knowing full well that actually doing that can cause people to react against us. 
and to bring harm, but not to fear if that were to happen. So we are to show, by the way we are a community, in a sense, it should show out so that people react for or against us. But we should be able to explain what we believe. But notice, again, at the end, it says, with gentleness and respect. And remember, this is in the context of where somebody is seeking harm to us because of the good that we do. And even in that context, we do it with gentleness and respect, not in an aggressive way. So I think in terms of how we witness, the element here is how we behave to one another in our community, then becomes our normal behaviour and so how we behave to people outside. That's good. And then that can show a difference. I think I've mentioned this once before, but when I was teaching in London, one afternoon, I think it was, or after school, I can't remember, there weren't that many people, but somebody, one of my colleagues, shared quite a bit of their personal story with me and said at the end that I was the only person they could talk about it with because they knew I wouldn't gossip. And they knew that because they'd known me for 10 years. You know, sometimes our witness is not something which is going to have an immediate effect. I think I said that last week. You know, but they had observed me over the years and decided they could trust me. So let us, you know, not be slow in doing good to one another. And then let God, in doing that, enable us to change how we behave outside. The second thing which uh, has been picked up on uh, in, in this uh, theme here is that one, we are a gospel speaking church. Two, we are a neighbour loving church. Yeah. And Leviticus, going right back towards the beginning, in the law, in Leviticus chapter 19 and verse 18, says the following. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbour as yourself. I am the Lord. And if you look at the previous verses, I haven't got time to do all of those ones, a lot of them are looking at the fact that you should not discriminate against the poor and the weak but you should treat all equally. And he's talking there about loving your neighbour as yourself. In the law, going back well over a thousand years, I can't remember the exact number now, before Jesus. 
Jesus, though, in his Sermon on the Mount, takes that and he pushes it out even further. So in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 43, he says, You have heard that it is said, you shall love your neighbour and hate your enemy. Is that what Leviticus said? No. It said, love your neighbour. But humans, being humans, tend to then add the second bit. Oh, I love my neighbour, but not my enemy. But Jesus said, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For you lo- if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. You, therefore, must be perfect, as your Heavenly Father is perfect. So, not just love our neighbour as in our own community, but love our neighbour in the wider community as well. As a community, us, the church, we should bless those outside without distinction, including those who don't deserve it. And I think that's the hardest thing, actually. It's easy to bless people if you think they deserve it. It's a bit harder to bless people if you're not sure if they deserve it, but maybe they do. And it's really hard to bless people when you know that they thoroughly don't deserve it. But that's what our Heavenly Father does. Because he sends the rain on the just, so I get rain on my garden for my vegetables, but he also sends the rain on the unjust, so they get the rain for their vegetables as well. Now, there was one of my teachers at primary school, there's only one thing I remember about him, and he had this saying, that the Lord sends the rain upon both the just and the unjust, but more upon the just, because the unjust has the just umbrella. You know, he's nicked it. (laughs) Uh, You know, whether that, you know, obviously he's taken that, and I don't know where it came from. I've never heard anybody else say that, but that was one of my primary school teachers. And it's like a lot of these things, it got in my brain and it stayed there and it's still there. But God blesses all. Therefore, we need to bless all. That's part of our our witness. And our witness should be obvious that we're not discriminating against people. Also, if we are witnessing, we need to be a community transformed. In Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, 
that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Again, in this context, Paul is talking to them as a community. Uh, the, NR, no, the ESV translates the uh, thing, I appeal to you therefore brothers. And then has a little suffix, all brothers and sisters. It's one of these things where the literal translation of the word in the Greek is brethren. But its understanding was it covered everyone. So sometimes we would use, the, in English, we'd use the word brethren just to mean men. But that wasn't the intent. And, so, you know, sometimes people use, can use, it's a bit like language keeps changing. Uh, so, you know, if I use the word chaps, do you see that as restricted to just men or men and women? Just men. Right, when I was teaching at a girls' school in London, our head of sick form, when she wanted the sick forms to do something, she said, right, right, chaps, let's get on. You know, different people use the same words different ways. And therefore, you might make an assumption about how somebody's using it, and they might make a different assumption. So it's always, a, these things are always tricky, and uh, I'll stop whittering on about it. <laughs> but again, it's, it's the community he's talking to. He's telling us to live as us together, to be a living sacrifice, to be holy together. Do we treat people better? Or just superficially? Are we just do things just to look good? And how do we respond to difficulty? Coming back to my grumbling last week. You know, if things are difficult, our, is our response to grumble? But we're told not to conform to this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And we're told to test things, to discern. Things aren't always obvious immediately what's necessarily the right thing to do. So therefore we need to test, discern and see, is this the right way of doing it? Because culture changes. So how do, do we change how we do things to fit in more with the culture? And sometimes that is appropriate, because in that context the culture is neutral, or even positive. Or do we not change things to fit in with the culture? Because that is be going against God's teaching. And it's not always obvious what is the right thing to do. So as a community, we need to discern. To take a classic example, how do you respond to homosexuality as a church? Now, some of the people I follow on Twitter are Anglicans, and there's been a bit, end of last year, a bit of a uh, dust-up between the Archbishop of Canterbury and the Archbishop of Ghana on that sort of topic. But when you look at both of what both of them are saying, 
what they are saying is what will fit it fits very well with the culture in which they live. I'm sure most people in this room would probably have gone more with the Archbishop of Canterbury's approach than the Archbishop of Ghana or Cra. But that's because you're in the same culture. And when it came, comes down to it, when you look at it, the more Western approach tends to look at the individual, the rights of the individual. While the African approach looks much more at the community, how it affects the family, how it affects the wider community. So, which is the more appropriate one can be hard to tell because where do you put the emphasis? And where is it appropriate to be different in different countries because of the different cultures? I think for us, because we are putting, the emphasis I've been putting on is on us as a community, we need to put more emphasis on the community than the individual compared to the society around us. And that is not e easy to work through. And I know I don't find it easy because I grew up in a liberal Western culture which puts a lot of emphasis on the individual and the individual's rights. And so I think for us, the question is making sure that we don't over-individualise what the Bible says. And remember, we're working as a community together, not just as lots of individuals. And that is going to be difficult at times because it's going to rub up against what we think is normal and it's going to rub up against what our society thinks is normal. But to do that, we, we need to do, do that to show the, what God is, God's great blessings for society. So, to summarise, as if we're witnessing as a community, we need to both be speaking the gospel, ready to speak about what we believe. We need to be loving one another, loving our neighbours, and we need to be transformed so that our culture changes from that around us to reflecting what God's uh, new world, the new earth, the new heavens will be like. And one thing which Timothy Keller put also is that we need these communities everywhere. So church planting needs to keep going ahead as well. At the moment, in a sense, we are, as a church, we are recovering from the fact that we've given some of our best out to enable the church in Sittingbourne to get started. That's the price we're willing to pay. Because we, this, 
community needs to expand and grow and be more and more for more and more people. Very good. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you're making us into a community. Thank you for what you've done so far. And Lord, we pray that you will continue to make us a community which speaks out your truth, which serves our neighbours, and Lord, which is being transformed more and more into the likeness of your Son, our Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen.